listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. The gentleman on my show, I've been listening to him play the drums for a really long time. You know, when I was like 12 or 13, I got both Gimme Back My Bullets and Street Survivors off the Columbia House Record Club. And if you people don't remember that, we would get like 12 records for a penny. And then we'd, we'd never buy other records. And it never screwed up our credit. And he's here. He was with Leonard Skinnerd. His band, the Artemis Pile album, just put Anthems comes out uh, in February. Anthems, it's the uh, honoring the music of Leonard Skinnerd. I listened to Simple Man that he did with Sammy Hagar, and it really kicked ass because I love that song. And my guest is Artemis Pile. How you doing, Artemis? Hey, Steve, uh, and uh, and thank you for those words. Um, Sammy did do a great job on Simple Man, and could you hear? Did you hear the cry in his voice? Yeah, you know, it, it seemed, because you know, that song, I'm going to tell you something about that song. Every once in a while on Facebook, I'll post, you know, man, I love that song. I drive, I love it. I love that effing song. And everyone always loves it too. And it does, though. It, it, he, it's, it's an emotional song. It's one of those songs, it chokes you up a little bit. And he just really, he delivered. Um, Ronnie Van Zant wrote that song for his mother. And his grandmother. And um, so, of course, you know, the song uh, really hits home with all of us guys, you know, that that uh, love their mothers. And, you know, I did. Um, so Sammy, to me, uh, the cry I'm talking about in his voice, Elvis did it. Uh, Dolly Parton does it. There's a cry in the voice where they their voice breaks a little bit, and you could hear that in Sammy's performance on Simple Man. Um, the, Steve, the the way I really felt like that he was singing it for Ronnie. He, you know, because when uh, when Sammy was in Ronnie Montrose, the band Montrose, right, and um, he was in that band, and we toured. We did a lot of shows together. Um, and so Sammy loved Ronnie and then, you know, Sammy followed the yellow brick road and, and, uh, to fame and fortune, uh, in his own right. And, uh, I just really feel like it, I did this album, you know, my band and I, uh, APB, we wanted to do something that was a tribute. And I think the way Sammy, uh, presented it and sang it. I think it's truly from the heart uh, a sincere tribute to Ronnie. Now, when you started recording this album, when you decided, well, why did you decide now? What made you record it now? Because it's been a long time. I know it's uh, you know the anniversary of the plane crash and all that. But what made you what made you sit there and go, now is the time? Because Ronnie deserves it, and you know the original kind of name of our album a working title was honoring the music of ronnie van zandt and judy van zandt ronnie's widow had given us permission to use that uh honoring the music of ronnie van zandt his band and and you know that's so that was the working title uh i like anthems that was the the um the management company and record company uh through that, you know, out there, and we like it. Uh, 
because Ronnie didn't just write hit songs, hit albums. He wrote anthems that'll be here a thousand years from now. So uh, that's what we wanted to call the the record. And you know why why now would we record a bunch of Leonard Skinner songs? Well, first of all, as I said, Ronnie deserves it. Um, and secondly, we had all of these incredible artists that were willing to sing on the record. I mean, Dolly Parton was the first one that recorded Freebird with us, um, an arrangement we came up with her producer, Kent Wells. And it was such a beautiful arrangement. And when Dolly played it for me, I sat there next to her at the console in Nashville where she likes to record at Kent Wells place and uh, I cried like a baby. I mean, I literally, the, the tears flowed because her voice, her, her gigantic little voice, her little gigantic voice, singing those words that Ronnie wrote, you know, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? And uh, this is before that we lost Gary Rossington. And, you know, Gary about six months, six, seven months ago, uh, passed away. He was 71 years old. Uh, my guitar players, Jerry Lida and Scott Raines, we went down to the service. Um, so I felt like, and the band felt like, and everybody involved was kind of excited about putting modern technology, modern recording techniques, and really kind of shining up the, the songs. Because, Steve, nobody's going to record these songs and they're going to be better than the original. Nobody's going to sing these songs and it's going to be better than Ronnie. Um, except maybe Dolly. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Ronnie would agree with that. Uh, but no, the original recordings stand forever. But we wanted to put the modern technology, a Nashville sound, which I get the best drum sound I've ever gotten in my life. My drum sound in this album is fat. And Kent Wells and the mastering processes in Nashville, which, you know, production in Nashville is second to none. And uh, the mastering process, sonically, the album sounds fantastic. And then every performance, you have Dolly, you have Warren Haynes, um, you know, from Government Mule and, and uh, Almond Brothers. You have uh, a young girl, 33 years old, from uh, Canada named Lindsay L., uh, she played a guitar solo on Needle in the Spoon and sang it. So you throw in, in answer to your question, you throw in all these great vocal performances. You throw it in considering that we're doing it as a tribute. And yes, tributes have been done before, but I think this is the greatest tribute album, one of them ever done. And you throw in the fact that we didn't do this album to make a bunch of money. The, the lion's share, as you well know, you're in the business, the lion's share of this album is going to go to the children and the grandchildren of my friends that are up in rock and roll heaven, you know, in the parallel universe <clears throat> on the biggest stage in the world, looking down saying, hey, Artemis, you better get somebody good to sing Freebird. Well, how about Dolly Parton? <laughs> so, you know... Um, those are all the reasons. Ronnie deserved it. Um, I'm 75 years old, so, you know, I want to do it while I'm still um, 
able to do it and do it well. I'm 75, but I play drums like I'm 25. Um, and uh, my band is been together 15 years and right Steve you know we've been together 15 years we've been playing these songs <clears throat> all over the country and we're really good we play Leonard Skinner's songs and music better than anybody in the world and I drive it like it's supposed to be driven the correct way and so that all summed up to we could do a really good album Dolly agreed to do it with us, Sammy Hagar, all of our great guest artists. And um, it was not easy navigating the shenanigans of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but I can tell you that uh, it was worth it because it got Gary Rossington. You know, we lost Gary, but we got his slide solo on Freebird, our, our recording, my band. Jerry Lida, Scott Raines, Brad Durden, uh, David Fowler, and myself, Artemis Gomer Pyle, USMC. Um, we got everybody, you know, together went up and recorded all the basic tracks. And then we brought in uh, everybody. So it wasn't easy getting all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, as you can imagine. But it was worth it because it brought Gary and I back together where we texted back and forth and as old friends because for years we had been kept separated because that you know all of the different management companies and lawyers there was more money for them to steal if Gary and I were not together and now that Gary is gone I am the last living member of Leonard Skinner it is not a good feeling it is a bad feeling but it is a fact, and I'm not going to change what I do. My band and I are going to continue to get on the bus, go to the gigs. We played four shows in Florida a couple of weeks ago with the Outlaws. We're always up north. Our, our agency is out of uh, New Jersey. We have a guy. I, You know, the agencies in Nashville are just, they they at least when they deal with me, they schmooze me and lie to me and tell me they're going to do this and that, and they don't do anything. But our agency, Blue Raven, out of uh, New Jersey, um, they stand up for me. They stand up for the band, and uh, they really, they get us in all these beautiful old theaters all over the country that have been restored. So, you know, getting Gary and I back together and us two old friends texting and, you know, saying, hey, I love you, buddy. Um, before his death means the world to me. And I got Gary on Freebird with Dolly, and it was not an easy task. So I, I want to ask you, you know, you said your drum sound is bigger, but when it's a different arrangement, how do you acclimate as a drummer? Because you're used to playing those Freebird songs. You're used to playing, you know, the way it goes. But when you have a different singer... And a different tune. How do you? How did you focus and say, "This is how it should be played"? Was it just instinctual, or did you sit there and have to think it out and go, "Okay, I'm going to change my drumming a little because the songs are going to sound a little bit different," as you said, with different people. Well, we did write um, with Kent Wells a really nice arrangement for Dolly on Freebird that kind of made it her own. <clears throat> she always kind of makes it 
makes it her own anyway. Anyway, um, but the rest of the songs we held true to the arrangements that we've been playing for years, and uh, I take artistic license by playing those drum parts. Some night I may feel like throwing a little extra something in because I'd get bored playing everything like a robot every night the same exact way, but I never vary from the spirit or the feel of the song. But to go deep into your question, um, I didn't have to think about the vocalists when I was recording these songs because my band and I cut the tracks without vocals. We, we just played the instrumental thing. And um, if I needed, because I cue off the vocals, if I needed a vocal in there, you know, um, a scratch vocal, as we say in the business, um, then I have three singers in APB that are hold their own with any vocalist. They're, they're all three really great singers. Brad is our keyboard player and sings lead, and Jerry uh, sings backup vocal and lead on some songs um, with Scott, and Scott Rains has an incredible voice, uh, is an incredible guitar player, so, and they're from Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina. We got Tennessee, Kentucky represented in this band. We are a Southern rock band. And they have Southern rock voices and Southern vocals. They're not trying to fake it. They're not using one of these fake Southern rock voices. It's their voices. And I don't require anybody in, in our band to try to sound like Ronnie. I don't require anybody in, in the band to dress up like my my uh, band members that are up in rock and roll heaven. You know, we stand there and play the songs. There's not a circus act going on. We play the music and we sing the vocals. And, you know, that is the show, not a bunch of, you know, running around and, you know, waving at the crowd and uh, acting, you know, showing our ass to the crowd. <laughs> You know, we, we present the people love the way we play the music and the way we present it. Uh, we play for 40,000 people on festivals with people like the, the late Charlie Daniels and um, the Outlaws, Southern rock bands, Marshall Tucker. And we always, the crowd always comes forward on us, fist bumping and singing the words more than any other band. And that's because of the prolific writing of Ronnie Van Zant and the strength of that music and those songs and those words. You know, people at these big festivals can see that we're not Leonard Skinner. We would never say we're Leonard Skinner, but we play the music closer to the way it should be played with honor, respect, and accuracy uh, every night. So, you know, I, I, I hope I answered your question. I, I didn't have to adjust anything I did because the vocals were not there. And our vocalists are so good that if we needed a scratch vocal, we'd just throw that in for timing, you know, so that we'd be completely on time. Because I cue back in the days, even playing in front of 300,000 people or 200,000 or 100,000 at festivals, I had Ronnie hot in my mix. You know, because if I if I was playing, I'm the drummer. I'm at one end of the spectrum. Ronnie's at the other end of the spectrum. If Ronnie and I are in sync 
everything in between will fall in line. And um, so I cue off the vocals. And it's, it also inspires me as I'm playing the songs because I'm thinking of the stories that Ronnie is, you know, was telling about these songs. And when Steve Gaines came into the band and the two of them, I mean, Steve, Steve Gaines and Ronnie Van Zant were so good together as, uh, as singing duets. There would have been so many more duets between them, but the one that we've got that we cherish, um, because Ronnie was killed and Steve was killed, uh, is you got that right. You know, you show got that right. You won't find me in an old folks home. You know, I'm on the road that that's what they were thinking about. Um, and, uh, and, and, and singing. So, you know, as I'm playing the songs and I play them all the time, we're on the road all the time. And I play these songs every night that we play them. I live through the songs. I think about my friends. I look out and see my band that's been there for 15 years and I'm proud of them. We played the Grand Ole Opry on October 20th, uh, this last October 20th, which was the, uh, the Grand Ole Opry uh, at Opryland. We played two songs and uh, we came in from San Antonio, Texas, playing for the veterans, raising money for veterans. And uh, they invited us to debut at the Grand Ole Opry and they treated us so well. It was such an incredible uh, experience. And I couldn't help but be emotional and think about my friends think, thinking, hey, we've got this new album. We dropped Sweet Home Alabama that day um, in Nashville there. Everybody reacted. Ronnie Dunn from Brooks and Dunn, he sings it. And uh, we got all kinds of great feedback. You know, I've done interviews in Athens, Greece recently, last few days, uh, Sydney, Australia, the UK, Edinburgh, Scotland, Montreal, Canada, all over the, the U.S. And the fact is that everybody, the popular consensus is that it's a beautiful album. Uh, it's a strong album. It's a tribute album, and, it, and it's special. And uh, everybody seems to really like it. So I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about my friends. I'm thinking, hey, here we are at the Grand Ole Opry. You know, on the day that we crashed our airplane 46 years later, um, and I was, you know, hoping that they were proud of me and, and the band, um, Gary Rossington, the last text he sent me was, I love you, man. I love your family. I miss you. Um, cause we'd been kept apart for years, you know, for the greed factor of the managers and lawyers. And, uh, so, you know, he said, I, I know that Ronnie would love this album. He would love Freebird. Uh, he would love the way Dolly did it. I know the whole band would. Uh, he even went a little further, which was unusual for Gary, to say that uh, when it gives him kind of goosebumps to listen to it. And it's and he said it's very emotional. I mean, Gary kind of waxed poetic on me on that last text, which I will cherish forever. because And I've got it in my phone right now you know, where Gary texted me that, and that was the last thing we, you know, he was thanking me for hooking up with Dolly and the Freebird, and so I know that Gary was proud. I, you know, heard it from him that, you know, that he feels like everybody else would be proud of this effort that we've made to kind of put a little shine with modern technology on the songs, bring in all these great artists, and, um, and, you know, the money, as I said, the money 
for these songs are going to go to the children and grandchildren. So it's a win, win, win situation. And uh, I love Dolly Parton. She is the, a humanitarian. She's number one in the world as far as I'm concerned. Uh, everything she does for children and the book, the book programs that she does, always given millions of dollars to children's hospitals all over the country and the world. Uh, she is a humanitarian, and uh, we are so lucky to be included on, in her new album, you know, and uh, she's on our new album. So, you know, uh, we, we couldn't be uh, happier. Now, you, you, you know, we, we, we're talking about Leonard Skinner. And, you know, Leonard Skinner, for me, you know, I, I just turned 60. And, and we listened to it. We listened to Leonard Skinner. I mean, we listened to it. It was it was just great. You know, kids from New Jersey, you know, because Southern Rock was so big back then, man. You were like the Outlaws and Molly Hatchet. And how did you end up in Leonard Skinner? Because I know you you were in Vietnam, right? Like, you you're, you were a veteran. You know, how did you end up in Leonard Skinner? Okay, um... First of all, I'd like to say I, I love New Jersey. Our agency is there, Blue Raven, and I have a lot of friends in uh, uh, Kearney, you know, over there, uh, uh, all over uh, New Jersey. We have fans and people that come to our shows. Um, I, I love being up in New Jersey, playing those old theaters that have been restored. Uh, I did not go to Vietnam. I had orders to go to Vietnam in my hand, um, and I was ready. Um, I had trained uh, every possible training class that you could take. Um, I I was prepared, you know, to go to Vietnam. I didn't want to kill anybody. I didn't want to be killed. Um, but I'm I'm a Marine, and they they taught me how to kill people. And I didn't want to do that. But I was ready to go. And then my father was killed in a mid-air plane collision in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, and my orders were, as a sole surviving son situation, uh, you know, I was going to go to OCS and fly jets for the Marines. That was, that was my father and my dream. Um, he had soloed. He had taken a plane up, you know, soloed. I was about to solo. Um, when he was hit from above and behind by a B-57 weather reconnaissance bomber in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, he never knew what hit him. He felt no pain. Um, he, he was an architect. He was flying over property he was going to build on <clears throat> for a, a builder, um, a developer, and um, dad never knew what hit him. That kind of kept me from going crazy. Um, so th that was the dream with my dad and I. Um, so after dad was killed, I went from being a Marine captain pilot and, you know, to a drummer in a Southern rock band called Leonard Skinner. Um, so after dad was killed, I immediately put a bunch of bands together. I went up to Martha's Vineyard and spent the summer there with my band Next Voice. Um, I went back to the Carolinas um, I hung out with Toy Caldwell and Tommy Caldwell and Paul Riddle and George McCorkle uh, from Marshall Tucker Band. And uh, they kept telling me about this band that they knew about called Leonard Skinner that needed a drummer. And I, I was like, well, you know, uh, do they work hard? Can it, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to get in a band that works hard. 
And then uh, Charlie Daniels auditioned me for his band. And at the last minute, the drummer that was going to quit, Charlie had two drummers. And at the last minute, Charlie's drummer that was going to quit, his name was Hoff Allen. And uh, he he re- rethought it and realized that he had a good job with Charlie. And so I went to New Orleans to uh, meet up with Charlie and kind of audition. Uh, I jammed with Charlie, uh, but he took me aside and he said, Artemis, you know, uh, the drummer that was going to quit decided not to. And, and I can't really take time out if I don't have to. I'm right in the middle of, you know, touring my album. And I've got a hit song on the radio. And um, I hope you understand. And I said, Charlie, of course. I, I said, thank you for being honest with me. I mean, that was one of my first experiences in the Southern rock world. Because, and Charlie, instead of like schmoozing me or, you know, telling me some other big fib, you know, Charlie was honest with me and just said, look, this guy doesn't, he's not going to quit, so I don't have a slot for you. But he did say, I know this band that's looking for a drummer because Bob Burns, uh, the original drummer, a good friend of mine, I love Bob. He was in APB. He was in my band now. This has been together 15 years. Uh, they, he loved the band. Bob loved us and uh, loved the way they play the music. And the crowd loved seeing Bob and I play together. But uh, Charlie... <laughs> again says hey i know this band uh called leonard skinner so marshall tucker and charlie are both telling me about this band leonard skinner um and they hooked me up with ronnie uh, and ronnie called me and said that he was going to fly five drummers and five sets of drums down to florida and we were going to have a drum off and uh i said wow man i said that sounds like fun you know and it does. I love playing with other drummers. And I have eight children and grandchildren, and we all play drums together. And music, we play music. They all play different instruments. But I started them all off on drums because you got to learn time. And uh, my youngest son, River, up at App State, he, he graduated. Uh, he plays trombone. So, you know, it's like uh, I, I said, okay, Ronnie, that sounds cool. He called me back three days later. And he said, uh, hey, Artemis, um, we're not going to do the five drummer thing. We're just, we're going to fly, you know, we're going to fly you down. And I said, no, I said, let me drive my Volkswagen microbus. I'll bring my own drums. And uh, so I drove to Florida to, um, and stayed in Orange Park outside of uh, Jacksonville there. Um for a few days on the weekend, I thought they were never going to call me. And uh, I thought maybe they'd change their mind or something. I was in a nice holiday in hotel room for three days. Finally, on Monday, uh, they called me and said, we're picking you up in, you know, 20 minutes. And um, we went out to Green Cove Springs to the farm uh, out there where the, the uh, you've heard of the Hell House. Yeah. And um, that's. And I told him, I said, man, don't spend money on a hotel room for me. I'll stay out here at the Hell House because it was surrounded by horses, you know, and there was cattle. And I lo- I'm, I've been riding horses. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, raised in Tennessee. Um, I love horses. I said, let me let me just stay out here with the equipment. And uh, they couldn't believe I wanted to do that. <laughs> and uh, so I just moved in to the Hell House. And, uh, you know, the, as they say, the rest is history. And 
we, we went on to uh, do our albums and continually tour uh, America, Japan, Europe. Um, and you know, when we weren't touring, we were in the studio. It was the hardest working band I've ever seen in my life. Well, what, you know, and that answered my question, do they work hard? So, uh, you know, my friends in Marshall Tucker and Charlie Daniels uh, steered me toward uh, Ronnie and the band. And it was Ronnie that hired me. Um, it was Ronnie that said, I, you know, I like you, Artemis. Uh, you're, you look like you're crazy enough to be in my band, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and also you, you, it seems as though you can play drums. So, um, I, uh, my first song was Saturday night special for that Burt Reynolds movie. And, uh, that was the first song on nothing fancy. And, um, uh, you know, and we went on to, and, and, you know, Steve, there would have been so many more albums. Ronnie and Steve would have collaborated. Ronnie would have collaborated with other artists and everything, but he would have always kept his bread and butter. And that's Leonard Skinner. Ronnie was a smart man. And he knew what side, you know, his bread was buttered on. And he would have kept the band intact uh, in perpetuity, you know, a, a, a lifetime. Um, but he didn't get a chance uh, to collaborate as much. You know, Neil Young had written songs that he wanted to come and record with Ronnie. But Ronnie was killed and that ended that. So... You know, I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah. I, I, I here's a question. I, I don't know if you're going to remember the show, but I remember this. There's a there's a myth, or you might even tell it's true. I remember you Skinner played JFK in Philadelphia, and you opened for Peter Frampton. And the next day, all the talk was you guys blew Peter Frampton off the stage. I don't know if you remember that show, but that's something that. We still talk about, you know, our older brothers were there. But do you remember playing in GFK? I mean, what was, what made you guys, and what made you guys so good live? Well, we were so good because Ronnie Van Zant uh, made the band rehearse, uh, you know, for hours and hours, going over one song 50 times. I, I mean, literally, so that we didn't have to worry about what was coming next, only how hard we wanted to nail it. And, uh, of course, I remember that show. That was Peter Frampton, Jay Giles, uh, us. And um, there, that was a series of shows. And Peter Frampton was very uh, sad that day. I, and I would jam with them on, at Soundcheck. I had my congas. I always kept my congas, which were uh, gonbops that I got in San Francisco. Steamed beechwood. Um uh, beautifully built and I would set my congas up and jam with opening bands like Carlos Santana. You know, I used to jam with him. He jammed with us on my congas in Flint, Michigan at an outdoor show. I turned around, we were doing give me three steps and I heard uh, conga and I turned around and it was Carlos Santana playing conga. And I said, Whoa. And, uh, but I'd always set my, my conga up and I played with Charlie Daniels. I'd play his whole set. My hands, I, I had Band-Aids on my hands and blood, bloody hands. Ronnie would make me show my hands to people and say, that's what your drummer's hands should look like. <laughs> bloody pulp, you know. Uh, and uh, But that was an, an incredible show. And the reason uh, 
the reason I remember the J the uh, JFK show and and an RFK show as well in Philly, uh, and the JFK uh, JFK was in Philly. RFK was in Washington. RFK, and you're you're talking about the uh, the JFK in Philly stadium where, where in, in, in Philly, New York. No, JFK is in Philly. Philly. RFK was in Washington D.C. Okay, we played both of those, and so uh, Jay Giles was on, but on one of them, Aerosmith was on the bill. And uh, I remember Aerosmith's um, their management company uh, kicked me off stage uh, because Peter had just won a lot of awards, uh, cutest blonde-haired, cutest blonde-haired guy in the Western Hemisphere, some bullshit, and. Uh, he had won all these awards, so his manager at the time was like somebody from the freaking Sopranos, and uh, you know, which I love the Sopranos. I just watched a whole bunch of it on HBO. Uh, I got hooked again, and uh, but uh, Peter's manager was very sinister guy, and when of course Peter, uh, those managers, they like to make their artists feel like they're number one and you know and then they they're they're they treat everybody else around them very badly um because you know ronnie van zandt could be considered a rock star but he never acted like one he didn't act like a pompous little prima donna but for a while peter had the pompous prima donna you know he had it uh pegged um i I love peter i loved his playing with him was humble pie uh, he's a great person. He's an amazing artist, and I, and I love Peter. But for a while, because of all the attention, you know, all these butt kissers and brown nosers, you know, they have a way of making someone feel like, oh, I, I must be better than everybody else. Uh, but he, he snapped out of it. But uh, I remember that day I was standing on stage waiting for them to play, and uh, the uh, management company came over and said, you can't be here. And I said, well, we just played, you know, I'm, I'm the drummer of Leonard Skinner. And we, and the guy goes, that was a very nice set. You did uh, very impressive. Uh, you'll have to get off stage now, you know, because our, our rock and roll star is about to come up here. And it's, it's like, I was like, Oh, okay. All right. You know, but don't put your hands on me, asshole. You know, uh, I did say that. And the guy said, so uh, yeah, that that was a great day, man. Peter Frampton. Now, now, what was what was the what was the partying like back then? Because I I just I interviewed Billy Crane last week, and he told me some crazy shit. But what was like you? I know what was it like when you guys started out? Were you hard partiers? Because I know eventually you stopped partying because I believe Ronnie didn't want you guys to. But what was it like? Was it was it true rock and roll? Because you know you always think Southern rockers they know how to party. They 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 got it going on. Look, um, the band drank too much and did too many drugs. Um, but that's what was going on in the 60s and 70s. It was everywhere. Cocaine and pills, uppers, downers. Um, I, I'm i a pothead. I'm a hippie pothead guy. Um, you know, I used to have really long hair. I, you know, I, I still have some hair. But, you know, I'm 75 years old. So 
Um, but there was so much stuff available. And I don't think anybody would disagree, you know, that drinking and drugs to a, to a point, you know, uh, to, to a limit, if you, if you limit. But back in those days, and, and myself too, would, would go overboard. And, um, and, and I, I watched the guys, uh, heavy, they were heavy drinkers. Now, I wasn't there from the beginning. You know that was Bob Burns, right. Robert Burns. Uh, I was still a sergeant in the Marine Corps, honestly getting ready to go to Vietnam. And uh, then Dad was killed, and I was almost, my four years, I was in for almost four years when Dad was killed, and I was going to ship over and go to OCS and fly jets. So, you know, I, w- when these guys were doing their thing, when Ronnie and the guys, uh, we're down in Florida. They didn't know I was alive. Although I went to Jacksonville, Florida, a couple of times for schools. Um, I worked on aviation electronics, and it was all analog, not digital then. But I had to go to school for top secret stuff. I have a crypto access top secret uh, code um, for what I did and what I worked on. It's called the top thing you can have is a crypto access. And I had that. And uh, they would put us inside a vaults that had time locks on it to uh, school us on all of these top secret projects. And uh, so I would go to Naval Air Station Jacks, uh, Jacks NAS in Jacksonville there and, and go to that stuff. But so I, I wasn't there in the beginning, but you know, what the guys all told me, I heard all the stories and I had a lot of stories with them as well. We toured the world together. I was with the band for over three years before the plane crash. And, uh, you know, I heard uh, all the stories. And and the thing is when they opened up for the who, and that was Bob Burns. And, you know, again, I say, I love Bob. Bob never got enough credit. Bob is an amazing drummer. I always introduced him as the Ringo star of Southern rock drummers because I love the Beatles. I got to meet Paul McCartney in England, hang out with him, Jack Nicholson at that gig, Nebworth. But uh, I don't think Ringo Starr ever got credit for being the genius drummer that he is and, and a, just a great person. And uh, so, and Dolly did a song on her new album which our song is on, you know, from anthems. Um, She did a song with Paul McCartney and and Ringo. So, um, you know, those, those were incredible gigs. Um, But, you know, Ronnie, uh, he had, he ruled the band with an iron fist because he had an iron fist and, you know, he had a different relationship with the rest of the band members. I'm the same age approximately as Ronnie. His birthday was January 15th, just a couple days ago, you know, Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, Ronnie is six months, around six months older than I, but we were about the same age and both of us being much older than the rest of the band, you know, by years. And, uh, uh, Ronnie, because I'm a Marine and uh, I had no reason to fear Ronnie 
uh, and he could not whip my ass. Um, we had a different relationship than he did with the rest of the band members. They were like his children because none of the guys, Gary, Alan, Leon, Billy, growing up, they didn't have real strong father figures that were there for them. And Ronnie would kind of fill that bill. Well, I had a father, an incredible father. And um, so Ronnie, to, to me, you know, I would go to the defense of the rest of the band members when the drinking got out of hand. So to me, you're asking the wrong guy because, you know, a lot of the drinking really had uh, consequences. And I was there and I saw it. And I saw the arrest, the police coming, uh, people, blood, <laughs> blood, <laughs> uh, police. Uh, I saw that side of it. And, uh, and had to get in between uh, the, the band members sometime. Ronnie, you know, would get mad at Alan or, or someone for something that wasn't, and, and of course the drinking uh, amplified everything that was going on. So they were hard partiers. I'll tell you right now, Steve, what they did would have killed me. And, you know, they started because they opened up for the who unlike a dozen shows and every night the promoters would provide cases of beer and bottles of whiskey and, and cartons of cigarettes. And these are poor, you know, not, not from wealthy families, but from middle-class hardworking blue collar families from the West side of Jacksonville, Florida. So when these promoters offered all these, free beer and free whiskey and free cigarettes and all this stuff. They, they just thought, wow, we got to drink it all and smoke <laughs> it all, you know? And, uh, um, they, and, and I, and, and in a way that, that endeared them to me that they, they were so thankful to have gigs. That's when I finally felt like I was a part of the band. Cause I would always say, you guys are really good. And Ronnie would say, what do you mean you guys? He said, you're, you're one of us. And, and it, it was a, a while before I would commit to being one of them. And now I look back and I am so proud of everybody in that band. They were, they were characters, man. Being on the road with Leonard Skinner was so much fun. Yes, there were the dark moments. Uh, but there were st there were a lot more incredible moments on stage in front of these gigantic thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people, and what went along with that, and the feeling you get for making that many people rock out, you know, and me being a part of that, I I was I am so proud to have been included. And as I say, I'm the last living member of the band, and I think about them all the time. I think about now. Now we we got to wrap up soon because I know you have another interview coming. But I want to ask you because you you play with them long, you know, they're part of your life. What 
And I know it's going to be a hard question, but what was your favorite song to play with them? Did you have a favorite Leonard Skinner when you heard them go, you saw the set list, you went, holy crap, I'm going to play the shit out of this. Was there a song that was your favorite? Yeah, I like, I had songs in the, in the uh, set list that I, I liked um, more than others. But as you understand, Steve, now, as I look back, they're all sentimentally my favorites, but I, I loved Freebird because it was a physical challenge to play that song. I loved uh, I Ain't the One because it was such a cool piece that Bob wrote, and I did the best I could do to play it the way that Bob played, you know, but yet play it, my, put my feeling in there, and then Saturday Night Special. I love that song. Um, Al Cooper produced it. It was the day that I signed the wrongful death papers to my father's death. Um, I flew to Columbus, Ohio that morning and signed uh, the papers to my dad's wrongful death in that plane crash in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Then I flew back to Atlanta. I put the last dollar I had in my pocket because I gave my mom all the money from dad's estate. And I left town with a dollar in my pocket. Had to jump the curb at the Atlanta airport to get to go to the studio because I didn't have six bucks. And I had one dollar and I put it in the gas tank of my Volkswagen microbus. And I went to, uh, you know, Studio One in Doraville, Georgia, on the outskirts of Atlanta. And I recorded Saturday Night Live or uh, Saturday Night Special. And I was crying. And Al Cooper came out and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I signed the papers to my father's wrongful death today. He was killed in a plane crash. I'm just upset. And Al Cooper said to me, he said, man, he said, I don't want to be insensitive, but use it. Use your emotion. And that's the first song I played with Skinner. And you listen to Saturday Night Special. You'll hear I am playing that song ferociously. And I play it to this day ferociously. So every time I play that song, I think about my father and the dream that we had of me being a Marine Corps pilot. And I flew those jets. I flew our, our TA-4Fs, the trainers. And I had everything it took to be a pilot. I could take over seven Gs. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't throw up, <laughs> you know, when I was up in the plane, uh, like a lot of guys did. Um, I had everything it took. So I, I, each song has a story to me, and that's a song that I recorded, that I wrote the part to. It wasn't Bob's song, um, but I try to respect Bob Burns' songs, and uh, I love playing them all. Uh, one of my favorites that I love is um, um, uh, Coming Home. It's such a beautiful song. And uh, I play it delicately, and then and Bob played it originally, and then when I come into the, I want to come home, you know, it goes into that chorus. That's that's when I lay the you know lay the coal to it, you know, I, I lay the fire to it, and every song in Leonard Skinner is different. There's no two Leonard Skinner songs where the drummer just plays two and four. Exactly. You know, blip, blip, blop, blue. So every song is a challenge. I know a little. Think about that song. You know, Steve Gaines wrote that tune. And it's real up-tempo, 
boogie, and which I get from my listening to the big band, Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, Jimmy Dorsey, uh, you know, Gene Krupa back in those days, the big band stuff. That's what I brought into Skinner and, and uh, all of the drumming techniques that I've stolen from every other drummer. You know, uh, guys come up to me all the time and go, you know, you influenced me as a drummer. And I said, well, look, every lick I've got, I stole from somebody else, you know, or I, it's a variation on a theme. So the answer to your question is, I did have favorites, Saturday Night Special, Freebird, um, you know, uh, uh, I know uh, I Ain't the One, which are cool, uh, but all of them are fun to play and execute in front of other bands and other drummers, because they're like, man, I, that one song you did, man, that was cool. You know, I didn't expect that, um, because it's a lot deeper than just two and four, so... I hope I answered your question. You did, man. And, you know, I, I want to I thank you for coming on today, Artemis. People, go to ArtemisPileBand.com. The album is really good. It's coming out. They have a bunch of different... You can get a drum head. You, just go go to ArtemisPile.com. And uh, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. You can find over 990 episodes. You can email me at Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Twitter, I'm at CooperTalk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.